about was Ash Wednesday, and we're starting a series on Lent, and uh, we're kind of doing it in a, we come from a church that, that planted us, that was a Baptist church, and this church is a part of the Covenant Church, uh, both of which are not terribly like mainline, uh, and so the whole idea of Ash Wednesday uh, is, is certainly, for me growing up, uh, a foreign concept. I never went to an Ash Wednesday service until I was, I think, maybe even out of college. Um, so we're doing Ash Wednesday, and we're going to press into this whole idea of Lent, not Ash Wednesday, Lent. We're going to press into this, this season of Lent, uh, but we're going to do the spirit of Lent, not necessarily the actual physical 40 days of Lent. So you'll have to use your imagination a little bit. Um, but uh, Lent traditionally, of course, if you know, is 40 days long. So it's the 40 days prior to Easter, not counting Sundays, right? And uh, the number 40, if you know anything about Judaism and Hebrew culture, the number 40, and numbers in general, but specifically the number 40, has huge, massive implications in Jewish literature. Often when 40 is used, the rabbis would say that what's being talked about or what's being inferred is that something is dying and something is being born. So if you think about all the instances in the scriptures where 40 is used, you think about the 40 days and the 40 nights of rain. You think about the 40 years in the desert for the Israelites. You think about Jesus going out into the desert for 40 days. You have this number 40 coming up all over the place. I would just encourage you, whenever you see it, ask what's dying and what's being born. So Lent is this season before Easter, 40 days, where something is dying in us and something is being born in us, if you will. Uh, the word actually comes from a Latin word, which is really long, but it has quad in it, and which, which, if you know anything about language and numbers, quad is four or 40. And then later it gets translated uh, kind of in the, in the Middle Ages to Lent, which has this idea or this, this reference to spring, and actually the word has, has reference to something being long or lengthened. So, of course, we just experienced what last week? Daylight savings, right? The days start to get longer, praise the Lord, hallelujah, for those of us who live in the north country. But the days get longer, and so Lent is this time in the season, or this period in the seasonal life of, our, of, of the year where the days start to get longer and we anticipate something that's coming. Uh, if, you, if you didn't know, there are three common practices in Lent. They are uh, uh, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, or charity, service, right? Some, one person talks about it in, in this way, justice towards God is prayer, justice towards self is uh, fasting, and justice towards our neighbor is the service idea. Uh, and some people uh, have added to this kind of the taking on of something in Lent. So we add something to our lives that we want to, a uh, discipline that we want to kind of lean into or that we want to try to try out for these 40 days. Uh, I want to show a video that I, I filmed this morning um, at about 6.40 uh, when I was you know, leaving for, for, for church. But I want to show this, and I think it really kind of gets at this series and why we're doing this. So just take a look at this if you would. Okay, what you're about to see is my garage. <clears throat> now you notice there's a couch <laughs> sitting over here that's actually blocking the door to some degree. There's a tricycle on top of a lawnmower over here. There's a snowblower and a bike, a uh, chop saw, a hockey stick, all kinds of stuff. There's actually a diaper genie back there. <laughs> Hopefully we're not going to need that again. There's a half-finished cabinet. There's actually a Home Depot bag full of leaves over there. And my boat. <clears throat> a couple other things over here. Bike and a bunch of other stuff. So, bottom line, um, Mike needs to do some spring cleaning, uh, which happens every spring, especially to people in Minnesota. We get this sudden urge 
to clean out a garage or a basement or a closet or a house because we anticipate that something is coming. Now our mind might be playing tricks on us because we all know how cruel winter can be around here, but be that as it may, we believe that something is coming, that spring is right around the corner. And if we don't take time to create space in our garages, in our houses, and in our basements, or in our closets, we run the risk of actually missing spring when it comes because we're busy doing all these other things that we think are important. <clears throat> and I think as we go into Lent and as we t talk about Lent in this series, there is going to be some time for us to intentionally and purposefully do some work in our lives and in our hearts, some spring cleaning if you will, uh, to prepare for what's coming what we know is coming, so that when it comes, when Resurrection and Easter show up and they're here, we don't miss it. Thanks for that little journey into my garage, which needs a lot of work. Uh, here's the thing. In Lent, we journey towards something that we know is coming. And uh, Lent is the intentional creation of space in our hearts and in our minds, in our lives, for the implications, for the massive and heavy and weighty implications of what is coming at Easter. Uh, it's a reordering of our hearts and lives in preparation for this. Now, I want to I ask a question. Why is this so important? Uh, why, why do we do this and why is it so important? Turn to Exodus chapter 24, if you would. This is the story of Moses and the people of God coming out of Egypt. They have crossed the Red Sea at this point. And uh, they're wandering around in the desert. Exodus 24, we'll start in verse 8, says this. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the, on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aram, Nahab and Abihu, the 70 elders of Israel, went up and saw the God of Israel, and under his feet was something like pavement made of sapphire. As clear as the sky itself, but God did not raise his hand against these leaders. I lost my place. Hands of the leaders uh, of the Israelites, they saw God and they ate and drank. I was hoping to find it and then make it dramatic, but I just couldn't, so. <laughs> you just got a window into the life of people like me. Uh, verse 12 says this, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to the mountain and stay here. Verse 12 is really peculiar. Go up to the mountain and stay here. And if you look at it in the actual Hebrew, the word that's used there is hayah, which has the meaning to be or to exist. So the rabbis, when you translate this, we don't get it. But if you were reading it in Hebrew, just word for word literal, what it would say is this. Moses, come up to the mountain and be on the mountain. Now, if you go up to the top of the mountain, where will you be? Not a trick question, friends. <laughs> to the top of the mountain, right? You're, you're there. So why on earth would God say to Moses, Moses, I want you to come up on the top of the mountain, and when you get there, I want you to be there. Sounds a little redundant, you know, Captain Redundancy here. Uh, why would God say that to Moses? Is it possible 
to be somewhere physically and your heart, mind, emotions, spirit are actually 100 miles away? Is it possible for you and I to be somewhere, to physically experience something in space and in time and still miss it? My kids, uh, I have three of them, three girls, and I have learned that when I am not paying attention to who I am as a dad and what I need to be doing and and what I need to be to my girls, uh, I have found them at times, often I have a phone in my hand, which is, uh, I'm working on that, to just put that thing down when I'm there. Um, But I'll find my kids and they'll say, it'll go like this, Dad, 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 Dad. And it takes them four, five, sometimes six times to get my attention. And they know this when I'm busy or or why. I'm physically there. I'm with them, right? I'm face to face. I'm there. But I'm not there. You know what I mean? And they have to say my name four, five, and six times to get my attention, to get me present. Because it's possible to be there but not actually be there. It's possible to be on top of the mountain and not be on top of the mountain. So the question or, or the idea for this whole series is this. How can we and, and what does it take for us to be fully present in the moments of life that we have? What does it look like for you and for me to be somewhere and to actually be there with everything, all of our senses, not just my body, not just me, but emotionally and spiritually. I'm ready, I'm available, I'm there for whatever God would have for me in that moment. And I think it's possible for us to, as we approach Easter, and this happens, it happens at Christmas every year, right? We get to Christmas and then we look back and we're like, what just happened, right? How did the, Christmas is now behind us and it's like it, I didn't even experience it. I'm guessing you probably didn't. You were there, but you weren't there. So as we approach Easter, this whole series of, of the season of Lent is an intentional working through and working out and installing things into our lives that help us be there when resurrection happens. Because this is it for us as Christians. This is what we, this is what we stake everything on. So that's what this whole series is about. Today, I want to just press into this question, why ashes? What is it about ashes that have something to do with Lent in this season? Why for thousands of years, for, for hundreds of years, have Christians come on this Ash Wednesday and put a cross of, of ashes on their forehead? What is it about ashes? So that's what I want to press into this morning. So uh, I want to say a couple of things. Uh, Originally, this comes from, in the, in the scriptures, this idea, in the ancient Near East, when someone was mourning or they were repentant, they would, they would cover themselves in ashes. You may have heard the phrase sackcloth and ashes in the scriptures. That's what this comes from. And then later it gets translated into, uh, in some of our tradition, uh, this ashes on the forehead thing. But what is it about ashes? I would say first and foremost this. I think the ashes of Lent help us understand that it's from ashes that we've come. Turn to Genesis chapter 2 if you would. Um, and by the way, just as you're, I'm turning there, um, can I just invite you guys when you come to awaken, like this is let loose a little bit, you know, just loosen up a little. This is not church of you traditionally. We're in a comedy club for crying out loud, you know, just loosen up a little and, uh, you know, just experience it. So Genesis chapter two, we'll start in verse four. 
This is the account of uh, creation, and it says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth. No plant of the field had yet sprung up, and for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth, watered the whole surface of the ground, and the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The word Adam or Adam in Hebrew actually means earth or ground or dirt. So Adam's name means he comes from the dirt. He comes from the ground. He comes from the earth. So God has all this stuff around him. And then he decides, or it would be a more accurate uh, theological naming, decides to create, to form something and out of the dirt with its hands, if you, however you want to envision this, creates and forms this body, this human, and it lays there formless and lifeless. It's just a pile of dirt, dust. And then there's this moment that we kind of just gloss over, we just read through, it's like, la, 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 the creation account, da, da, da. But God leans down and breathes life the spirit, the life of God into this pile of dirt and it becomes alive. This thing stands up and walks and now breathes life itself. Have any of you ever been present at a birth? The most, (laughs) some of the young guys are like, heck no, you crazy? (laughs) One of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in my entire life. This child is born and they're there and they're still connected through this umbilical cord thing, and they're not breathing, and then all of a sudden, there's this, trans, there's this translation that happens in a baby's body. Physiologically, miraculous. Where in an instant, it takes its first breath, and it breathes in, and it begins life, right? It, it, it starts to breathe on its own. I mean, before that, it's been getting oxygen from mom and all that kind of stuff, but there's this moment that it happens, and I'm telling you, be there when you're there, moms and dads, because it is amazing. There's this moment, Adam is formed from the dust, and the ashes of Lent remind us that this is where we've come from, that without the Spirit of God, without the breath of God, without this ruach, this thing that God breathes into us, we are nothing. We are a pile of dirt, and this is where we've come. We are not self-made beings, We do not sustain ourselves. We have an origin and a creator. And the ashes of Lent say, this is where you have come from. At one point, I was not. And now I am. At one point, you were not. But now you are. Have you ever had a moment when you've come face to face with your inability to sustain yourself, right? The life that you actually have where it's like, bam, and people talk about my life flashed before my eyes, one of those moments. I was, uh, I grew up, I went to school in Colorado for college and uh, we were climbing up the mountains and there's this thing that they do out there called birch bending. Has anyone ever done this before? And it's actually aspen bending because I didn't want to tell them though because birch trees don't really grow out there. Aspens do. But they call it birch bending. So I play along and so you climb a birch tree, an aspen tree that's long, that's skinny, but it, they, they grow really tall. 
and they're super, super flexible. So as you climb up the aspen tree, the weight of your body starts to you know, go in one direction. And, and you bend, and you can climb like 20 feet up in the air, and then slowly it starts to bend and bend and bend and bend and bend, and you come all the way back down to the ground. And it's supposed to be cool, this experience. So I'm like, all right, I'll try it. I'll do whatever. So we're on a mountainside, and the mountainside goes like this, right? And I climb this, this aspen tree, and I go up. And so where I started to where I'm going to end up is actually quite a bit further down. Not a math major. Um, so I climb the aspen tree, and I get up, and it starts to go. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool, right? This is kind of cool. And then I hear it start cracking, and it snaps. And it's like now everything's in slow motion, right? It's like, There's usually candles right behind me. And I'm falling, and I land on the ground on my back, and I'm looking straight up in the air, and I realize I'm still breathing. I'm still alive, and I look, and I'm laying on the ground, right, like this, and I look, and right here is a tree, like a, a, somebody else had tried this, aspen birch bending thing, and it had broken, and it was a gnarly, pointy thing about this wide, this round, sticking up right in between my arm and my heart cavity. <laughs> and it was like, everything stops. And I'm looking at the blue sky of Colorado and this, the shaky aspen leaves of the mountains, and my life literally just flashes before my eyes. And it's gone. It's over. Like, from ashes we have come. I think the ashes of Lent say to us, this is where we've come from, and they remind us that this is exactly where we will return. Welcome to church, everybody. We've got a real upper for you today. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The ashes of Lent actually remind us that we're all going to die. That our lives, as we know them right now, will not last forever. Which is a real trippy deal for us in America, right? Because (laughs) just yesterday, I was sitting at the YMCA and I was reading Martha Stewart Living. Pause. Let me just help you understand why I was reading Martha Stewart Living so you don't think I'm a total wacko. Uh, little Dahlia got a cut in her thumb last Saturday, and she had stitches. And so yesterday, we, I, I'm, I didn't want to go to the doctor to take them out, because let, we, we all know this. I mean, they're super easy to take out. If you just sit still, you just snip them and pull them, right? It's real easy. So I got three of them out, but the fourth one was a real sticky wicket, and it just would not cut. And every time I tried to pull it, she just went through the roof. And then it was like all this bartering, like, hey, I'll give you 16 of these Valentine hearts, which are really old, um, if you let me cut your, oh, and then, or or this, or this, or this, and she's just eating it up, like, no, 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 so freaking out, and so finally, I was like, fine, we're going to the YMCA, we're going swimming with our friends, and guess what, if you don't let me take your stitches out, you're not swimming, how do you like that? She's like, okay, not the effect I thought it would have, so her and I are sitting in the window, and she's, of course, got her snotty face just smashed up against the window watching her brother or sister's. Uh, and I'm like, dude, will you stop putting your face on the window? All these people are watching us, and it's making it dirty. She didn't care. And so we're watching our the sisters and mom and friends swimming. I'm reading Martha Stewart Living. You follow? Okay. So I'm reading Martha Stewart Living, 
And I noticed something as I'm paging through the 260 pages of Martha Stewart. Do you really need that much? Do you know how many ads there were selling products, lotions, balms, uh, what do they call that? Uh, uh, serums? <clears throat> that, that, that claim to prolong or to halt the process of aging. Friends, can I just break it down for you? It doesn't work. None of it. It doesn't work. It all starts to sag and fall and atrophy. It's just the way it goes. I mean, Newton, right? He said this. You know, everything, go, everything wants to stop, including you and me. It doesn't work. We all have a beginning and we have an end. And it is coming for all of us. In fact, I'm going today. We, we live in a world where we, we, we live as if we're not going to die. We live as if tragedy and cancer and heart disease and tornadoes and earthquakes and tsunamis, it's all over there, right? And it would never come here. As soon as we're done, I'm headed down to Berean to, to, to sing at a, a friend of mine's funeral. Tim Vanderveld died of cancer. I don't even think he was 50. The ashes of Lent remind us that that's what awaits us in one sense. And it begs the question, and it forces us to ask the question, who have we become and what are we becoming? Is it possible that the ashes of Lent could actually help us remember this thing called death and, and, and influence how we live. Thankfully, I think the ashes of Lent also remind us that we're on a journey. That while, while when we, we take these ashes and we put them on our foreheads, while we do that and they say, this is where you've come and this is where you're going, they actually say that there's something else going on here, that we're on a journey and that this thing is headed somewhere. Uh, I, I was, my grandpa was sitting right back here a couple weeks ago in this corner. He's uh, 86 years old. We call him Chaz, better known as. He's the like, wiliest, wittiest 86-year-old you'll ever find. Hilarious. If he comes back, highly recommend that you talk to him. He is a trip. So uh, he's sitting over there, and my, it was, you know, came to church with my mom and, and my, my aunt Sis. And uh, my sister-in-law, Julie, was telling me about uh, after they were there, she was talking about it and saying, oh, how was Awaken, and so on and so forth. And Chaz says... For crying out loud, the kid spoke for 40 minutes. But then he said, but it seemed like 15. I didn't even realize where the time had gone. And then she told me what he said. And he said, that Mikey, he's got something to say. And that Awaken, they're headed somewhere. I mean, for me, like my grandpa, this patriarchal figure in my family says, I believe in you and, and you're headed somewhere. Like this thing is going somewhere. What a moment for me. Like, like I see you, Micah. The, the, the ashes of Lent remind us that this thing is headed somewhere. They tap into a story and a stream that we believe speaks about the world that we live in that says this is not all there is. While this is where we've come from and this is where we're headed, there is more beyond it. Because of something that's happened in Jesus, because of what was accomplished at resurrection, because, because, because of the wonderful things he does, because of that, that this thing is headed somewhere. 
And take heart, my friends, when you experience tragedy and heartache and suffering and loss and all of the things that this broken world has to offer, the ashes of Lent say, guess what? This is headed somewhere. And it's headed to resurrection. Where we've come from, where we're going, we're on a journey. And I think last I would say that the ashes of Lent remind us that we are not alone. I've told this story before, and some of you have heard it, but I fly fish, you know, uh, in Colorado. I learned how to fly fish, and so there is this one spot in Aspen, Colorado, where the frying pan river, every year in August, has these bugs that come out of the river. They're called green drakes, and I'm not kidding you. They're like the size of a quarter. Do you guys remember that, that movie with Jim Carrey where he's driving along in the freeway, and he's just, like, eating bugs? Do you remember that one? Those are, no, maybe you don't. Okay. Uh, those are the size of the bugs. They're massive. And so the trout, of course, just go bonkers. They love this stuff. And for trout fishermen, the ultimate experience is to catch trout on a dry fly, which means that the, 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 the lure you're using sits on top of the water. So it's like the ultimate, you know, like instant gratification experience because you're watching your fly and it's coming down and then all of a sudden this trout comes up and just like, eats it and, you know, you set the hook. So for those fishermen, it's amazing. For the rest of you, you just have to take my word for it. So I take a four-day trip. I pack up my girlfriend's car, who was Laura at, the po- at that time. She was gone to California, and I take the Ford Taurus. I drive it through the mountains to Aspen, and I'm going to spend four days fishing the frying pan in the green drake. I mean, this is like epic. This is Mecca for me, right? So I get there, and I set up my tent, and I, I, I do all the deal, and then I'm like, all right, let's do it. Strap on the waders, get the stuff. I head out to the river, and I start fishing, and I'm just knocking them dead. I mean, just whack, 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 fish after fish, right? And then there's this moment where that's exactly what I heard, just total silence. And in an instant, I recognized that I was totally and utterly alone. And what had been the most unbelievable, life-giving experience for me as a fisherman became a total nightmare. I hate being alone. I've, I've, gotten, I've learned how to be better at it, but it, then it was frightening beyond belief. You know what I did? I packed up my tent and I went home. I'm not kidding you. I think I slept there one night and the next morning I'm just like, I can't handle this. I drove home to my roommates who were not that interesting (laughs) because I was scared of being alone. I think deeply deeply seated and rooted in the human heart is this longing for connectivity, this longing to be known and seen and to relate to other people. The worst feeling in the world is when you go through something tragic and horrible and, and, and on top of it, you feel alone. There's a woman named Brene Brown. She's a, social, uh, a PhD in social work, and she did this research on human connectivity fascinating stuff. It was on TED Talks, if you're ever into that that stuff. TED Talks. She discovered that humans, like hardwired into the human body and the human neurological system and all of this stuff, it's all hardwired for connection. And when we don't get it, it is a mess, a total mess. 
Uh, babies, when they're born, if they're not touched and connected with, like, skin to skin, there are studies that show, like, it goes downhill super fast if you don't hey, touch them, love them, speak to them, see them, like, look in their eyes, because we're wired for connectivity. Do you know what she found? In all of the stories of disconnection, of heartbreak and of loss with these people who were looking for connectivity, do you know what she found is the common denominator? Fear and shame. Fear and shame. Does anybody remember Genesis chapter 3? Adam and Eve in the garden, and they are what? Naked and unashamed. So Adam and Eve in the beginning, in the garden, when all is right in the world, and connectivity, what we're made for, is happening says that they were naked and there was no shame. It's beautiful. I'm looking forward to it in a really non-sexual way. Because <laughs> you'll all be there too. <laughs> be here all week. <laughs> the ashes of Lent for hundreds and hundreds of years have been something for a group of people in the world who believe something about what's coming and what has happened. And as you have walked through a supermarket or at a coffee shop or at work and you see someone and they have a cross on their forehead in ashes, it screams, me too. There's this moment of solidarity that you have with another person when you see that cross and you're like, yeah, me too. I think so too. I know. Isn't it awesome? I think it happened. I think it's real. <laughs> There's this moment of me too. And so the ashes of Lent become this symbol, this physical sweat and blood physical symbol that says, me too. This is where you've come from. This is where you're going. We're on a journey. Me too. 